Hey, folks, welcome once again to There's Just Something About Kansas City, where we have conversations about the people, places, and things that make this such a hidden gem and a place we just just love to live and uh, couldn't have any better guy in here today than a guy who's sitting across from me, native Kansas City himself, Tom Watson, one of the greatest golfers uh, ever to, to swing a club in the World Golf Hall of Fame and just, uh, you know, it was eight majors, and I think everybody really knows a lot about what Tom Watson has done on the golf course. But we always like to explore what Tom Watson is doing and has done for this city, which uh, you have just been just been incredible for this city. It's been great to, to have you here all this time. And it was great for my career uh, to be able to cover you all this yeah, time. Yeah, we go and a long way back. We, we go a long way back, way back yes, 1981. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember. You know, right? Frank, it's interesting. I, I, I travel all over the world and, uh, you know, playing professional golf, doing that. And I meet people who uh, uh, either have moved to Kansas City or have been in Kansas City and – Make the comment about Kansas City. He said, we love Kansas City. Uh, we love the, the environment, love the people. Uh, and, you know, it, I've had a lot of people tell me that about Kansas City. And, you know, I, I, I have it in my heart here, but I, you know, I grew up here. Uh, you know, we have a few warts, but the thing is, uh, you know, the Kansas City is, is a can-do city. Kind of goes, goes along quietly in a lot of different ways, but gets the job done. I remember a wonderful photograph uh, after the 1951 flood. There was a there was a man in there. They had the flood, uh, the remnants of the flood in this uh, uh, this artwork, and he was rolling up his sleeves like this. We're going to get the job done. Yeah, that was the. And that, uh, you know, that's a lot. Of, you know, that's that's what Kansas City means to me. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the uh, Brush Creek. Flood there through the middle, and that was mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was really really devastating. This town. No, actually, it goes right. back to 1951. Oh, that's right. You were born. That's right. And that was no, the, not that, quite. That was the major flood that <laughs> ruined right. the stockyards. And, that's right. And actually caused the uh, you know, Army Corps to you know, start building up the dikes or uh, of the river going around right. the airport down there, and uh, it was uh, you know, you know through. You know, tragedy sometimes comes, uh, you know, success, and that's what happened. Then. Yeah, and I think that was the rebirth of that became the new Union Station, which is up where the Union Station is now. The old Union Station used to be right down there in the stockyards, mm-hmm. and right. got flooded out, and they decided there was there was a point there where they didn't know whether they're going to build it or not, yeah. and they finally built it, and, it's, and it, uh, built a, it built a beautiful one. Oh, yeah. just unbelievable! And then on display for. All the parades and all the Super Bowl celebrations and the NFL draft. I mean, I remember taking the train 1955 out of Union Station to Chicago with my grandmother. We went up with two purposes. One was to go to see the Chicago Zoo, and the other was to ride the escalator at Marshall Field. Oh my gosh! I, I yeah yeah. You know, see, tell me about the escalators moving. Yeah, moving stairs. And I th- yeah, as a five-year-old, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's right. Boy, and that's, just, that's right around the time elevators came in <laughs> as well. So the old Otis brothers. Uh, I'm taking you way back. In. You are taking me away, which is great, which is they're, they're wonderful memories. And we just had the great privilege of visiting Whiteman Air Force Base together. We, we were did. down there with uh, you know a few other, you know, Bobby Bell and Willa Lanier was there. And, you know, just uh, John Lomar, just a lot of great, great people that, that visited, and we had a chance to interact with, uh, of course, uh, you know, some of our finest uh, in, in, the, um, in the armed services and, in this case, in the Air Force. But what I didn't know, and you sort of said it as, as an aside, that your dad was in World War II, 
And tell the story about your dad, I guess, his missions, and was he a navigator? Was that not a Yeah, my dad was a navigator in a B-24. Uh, he, uh, he tells a story about how, you know, the, the first long-range uh, trip he took was from San Francisco to uh, Hawaii. And as a navigator, back in those days, you had to take three-star fixes, meaning your navigation was dependent on the sextant or whatever they call it, and and do the you do the fixes to make sure that you're you know, you're going the right way. Celestial <laughs> navigation. Mm-hmm. It's the way um, uh, actually you know, centuries man uh, has used the stars, um, uh, the sun, and the stars to navigate uh, on the oceans and uh, you know, the ocean of air. You know, they, and he said he, he was really pretty proud of the you know, of the fact that he got got them within two miles of the exact destination, going you know, all the way over, over to Hawaii. Wow! And then it was on to New Guinea, uh, you know, through the islands, uh, uh, Micronesia, Micro, Micronesia there, and and uh, he he served as combat from from New Guinea. Yeah, and he he uh, he had a lot of missions and was never he shot down. I mean, he did fifty three missions. Wow. Uh, my aunt, his sister, uh, received a lot of letters from my father, and and uh, she uh, she gave me those letters, and I read them all. And wow, they were funny, actually. She, he was giving her love advice because she was five years younger, giving her love advice uh, <laughs> from the from the war theater in New Guinea. Uh, but he, I remember one letter. He said, "Well, I'm coming home. Uh, I've done my you know I've done my 33 missions. I'm coming home." And uh, three weeks later, she gets another letter and says, nope, <laughs> they kept me in. And he did another he did another 20 missions. And, wow. And, uh, and came home. And he was never shot down. I mean, when you well, think about well, I'm, that. Well, I'm here. I know, I know. But <laughs> I mean, even to be shot down to be a prisoner of war somewhere well, or whatever. Well, again, you know, there's, but, yeah. there's, uh, what was the great uh, movie about, you know, with, you know the, and the book about the, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the plane that was shot down, floated in the Pacific. Got caught by the Japanese, went to Japanese prison camps. Oh, yeah, camps. that was uncon- um, uncon- uh, un- unconquered. No, un- I, 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 know, I, I, I know the movie was, you're talking well, about. Well, yeah. but it was a great book. It was yes. tremendous. And, and uh, boy, what a, what a tribute to the human, human psyche. Yes, absolutely. J- just incredible. So your dad comes back, obviously gets married. You are a result of he that. He got of married course. in five days. They when, came after back. he got back, he got married within well, five no, days. Well, no, it was leave. It was on leave, <laughs> and um, he was still in, the, you know, still in it, and, and they decided, Mom and, Mom and Dad decided to get married, and they you know, they told everybody, and five days later they were married, and Mom had a full wedding dress made wow. for that in five days. Oh, my gosh, that's and incredible. It was uh, funny. One of my <laughs> one of my uncles did a uh, written report about that, and he was so funny about the people who came and all that it was it was really funny. You know, these family history, family history is uh, you know when you go back and you didn't know, uh, you know, we weren't alive back then. Right. Uh, to, to 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 live your, you know, to relive your family's history is uh, is pretty important. Yeah, especially those letters you have from your dad. Did he ever talk about the war very much? No. Okay. Yeah. No. That's like a lot of that greatest generation. They just didn't talk about no. it, did they? Uh, is I've never been close to it. I went to Iraq a couple times, but uh, and I've been around a lot of warriors, wounded warriors, people, mm-hmm. men who have severe physical and mental uh, issues. Yeah, uh, uh, you can't understand if you're just a civvy like me uh, the horrors, the horrors of being in war. Yeah, 
it, it can't you can't understand it. I don't care, uh, you know, Saving Private Ryan that first uh, opening scene, yeah. twenty minutes uh, on the invasion of Normandy. It gives you maybe a little taste of what it was really like, yeah. but yeah, you can't you can't really understand it. Yeah, they are best and brightest and most heroic. Yeah, you bet to put your life on the line for your country. Yeah, there is no greater sacrifice, you know, in a gold star families who lose somebody. Just it's uh, you know it's tough. Yeah, we it's we, very, very difficult. we should always support those families. Yes, absolutely. You know, folds of honor does the same thing. Yes, yes. Beautiful thing. Yeah, and, right. You know, uh, it's uh, you know it, you know those. Those, you know, you go through life and you want to try, you want to help people yeah. if you can. You know, we've got a good, uh, yeah, sure, we have our struggles and we do things. Uh, we have, you know, our difficulties, but, uh, you know, there are people who have greater difficulties than we do. We need to, you know, we need to be concerned about those people. Yeah, yeah, you bet. And your dad, of course, introduced you to golf. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Six years old. Yeah, you're six years old. I was uh, just a <laughs> snot nosed kid. I have three. I had a brother three years older than I was. He just had started playing the game. And Dad introduced me with a cut, cut down hickory shafted bank five iron. And he, he said, All right, son, here's the, here's the grip. Don't ever forget this grip. Point your V's <laughs> of your hands towards your right shoulder. Okay, spread your feet a little bit. Now, I want you to turn your back to the target. On your backswing, and when you follow through the key on the follow through, I want you to finish with your belly button facing the hole. And that, that taught me, that, you know, and what he did, he put his hand on my head to keep it still when I made the turn mm -hmm. on the backswing. And he only had to do that once. I got it. Keep my head still, turn my back, and then finish with my belly button to the target. That was that was it. That was it. <laughs> baby. That you know, when I teach that lesson all the time to. Uh, you know, to young kids, right? I say, you know, I tell young kids, hit it as hard as you can, in balance. You stay in balance, but hit it as hard as you can. Learn speed early. Learn to really hit it hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're right hander, you know, you just pour it on with your right hand. Just hit it hard. Keep in balance. Finish with your belly button. The whole and by doing that, your hips lead the arms on the downswing. It speeds up your arms. If your hips stop and you don't finish with your belly button to the hole, your arms slow down. Yeah. And you don't get that speed. That's it. And you need the speed for the Instant distance. Instant lesson, Frank. They, I know. I, I'm just picking this up. <laughs> I'm going, number one, I can't get my back around. <laughs> I can't twist that far. And I can't, you know, rotate that quickly either. Because in my Well, we so. both can't. I know. We both can't. <laughs> um, but you came up, and it was interesting to me, too. Not only did you play golf, I think even caddied for your dad. I mean, your dad was sure. a Kansas City Country Club champion. He's yeah. club champ, right? And um, you even caddied for your father. At, oh, sure. At, at well, I caddied for other right. people, too. Yeah, right. I was trying to make some dough. That's it. I was paid, uh, for 18 holes, I was paid a buck 25. I got lucky, I got a 50 cent, 50 cent tip. Wow. And uh, so it was, uh, uh, you, know, it, you know, honestly, you know, we can fast forward a little bit of what, I, what I'm trying to do now. Mm -hmm. When I was a caddy and those kids right there, I was. You know, kids from all walks of life, not members. A bunch of them weren't members. Um, and the great thing about being a caddy is that you had the opportunity to play golf at the cl at the club on Mondays because the club was closed. Right. Now I had the pr privilege of being able to play anytime or anytime that you allowed kids to play. But those kids, you know, you know, they, if they got you know, inspired to play, and Paul Weiler back in those days, and then Stan Thursk, you know, they helped these caddies. Uh, they gave them lessons and. They got out in the golf course and played. Yeah. Uh, when I 
joined the tour, uh, I saw the caddy programs just uh, just go away because of carts, right? And there was no, there was none of this uh, uh, main line of all uh, kids all from all sorts of life, all all ways of life to be introduced to the game. Right. So every, it all of a sudden went away. So I started a program called Clubs for Kids. And that was a one-day shot, and that was essentially give a kid a golf club and a golf lesson. But that was just one day, so that really didn't work. And then uh, uh, we started a program here to help the kids uh, out at you know, Blue River Golf Academy in Sewell Park. Uh, we had a you know, wonderful mentor uh, who, who just loved the game of golf, and two of us together just went – and and created a program where the kids were brought out, given some lessons, and then then uh, you know we built a three-hole facility up on top of the hill out there. It's called Heart of America now, mm-hmm. and the kids had a chance to play. Um, and that was kind of the precursor of the first tee program. Uh, we opened that facility to three holes, and we had uh, representatives from PGA of America and the PGA Tour that came out, and and. They saw what was happening. You know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, a year later, the first tee was born. And the first tee program is a is a uh, a program to get kids uh, have have kids go out and take take lessons, uh, learn how to play the game, but also be, be taught the you know, the nine core values that are associated kind of with the game itself, the etiquette of the game, you know, honesty, integrity, sportsmanship, uh, and perseverance and all those things um, and you know that was great that was great but what happened was that you know these kids would come and they'd go to this to the first tee facility at kind of early age between 9 and 11 that was our our, our our premier time for the kids right and after that they, they kind of petered petered out they didn't stay in the program and why they didn't have a go haven't didn't have a place to go play go play or exactly. somebody to play with. Mm-hmm. So a couple of years ago, I said, you know, I think we've got a good idea here. Let's create a mentorship program where these kids can sign up, go play nine holes with a mentor, with an older person. who, uh, you know, they, they have a passion for the game. They love the game. Go play nine holes with them out on the golf course. Kind of be taught. I mean, it could be taught some skills and things like that, but just go play. Mm-hmm. Because these kids in the first tee program really didn't have – the opportunity to do most of them didn't have a chance to go play the game and you know, learn the game, play right. the game the way it should be, and that's what we've created here. We call it a Watson Links, and it's through the KC uh, through the firstdkc.org. Uh, you can sign up, uh, and you know, we've got a program that's going to extend through the middle of, of October. And the great thing about this program, Frank, is that. We have great interest from all around the country for this program. Right. We've exported it to Sacramento now. We have other programs who are going to put it in put it in play next year. Uh, and you know what my hope is? My hope is the National First Tee, which is based out of Ponte Vedra under the PGA Tour, will look at this and say, you know, we need to incorporate this with our First Tee program. Right. And uh, you know we we have we have the pro formas we have how it works here the budgets and things like that that we can export anywhere, and 
So I'm making a plea to <laughs> through this podcast to the PGA Tour and the First Tee Program, National First Tee Program, to take a hard look at this program. So I really believe it's going to create lifetime golfers. And that I have, I have a couple of foundations uh, that I've created over the years. The first statement is the mission statement. You know what the mission statement is? To create lifetime golfers. I want to create lifetime golfers, and uh, yeah, that's been that's been my my task and my my my, my direction ever since I got on the tour because I just saw the caddy programs go away mm -hmm. and they didn't see any more uh, any more kids getting involved with the game. Yeah, it'd be great if those uh, if those golf carts went away. Anyway, I think everybody'd be in better yeah, shape. Yeah, be they better shape. You're day. right. You you got that right. Stay in shape, like. You have virtually your entire life, but but the thing also, you also just uh, put up a little WeLinks course up at Heritage Park, and that is for kids even younger. Your target, I think, for Watson Links more like the nine to eleven year old child or and, whatever, and, and beyond, but, and beyond, mm -hmm. yeah, and then create their love for golf, and then they take it because mm -hmm. we need more golfers. The Tiger Woods phenomenon has basically waned and sort of gone away with these kids and yeah but you, covid really helped us because yes you know, the kids put you know, kids back do on anything and right. the only thing they could play was golf yeah right outside you right. know fresh air no masks and things like that but uh let me explain that we links it was not my idea at all it, the idea was jeff bury yeah jeff bury was a well, the all-time great yeah, guy great great guy <laughs> he uh at eudora he had his uh uh, his driving range, and he created a Weed Links out there. And Weed Links is, is very simple. It's not about it's not on an acre of land. Uh, there are six holes. Uh, the holes are not any longer than about thirty yards, thirty or forty yards. Perfect. You have an artificial tee, so you don't wear out a, a patch of grass. Uh, there's real grass. Now you play real grass, and the cups are six inches wide, which is about 50% uh, larger than a normal cup. I could use that. Yeah. <laughs> and it, uh, uh, you can take a kid of any skill level and give him two clubs, uh, say a nine iron and a putter, go out there and play and you know, say, all right, there's the flag, 30 yards away. Let's see how many strokes it takes you to get in the hole from here, they can, you know, they can conceive that. Yes. From 30 yards, they, you know, beginners and small kids, they can conceive, oh, that's the goal right there. They can't conceive 200 yards away or even 100 yards away or even 50 yards away. Um, I said, that's where I want to be. And, you know, that's teaching the game of golf right there. Right. Ben Crenshaw, he had his first lesson from Harvey Penick, the great teacher down in Austin. And he went out there with his dad, Charlie. Ben did. And Harvey looks down at Ben, and he's seven years old, and he said, Ben, I want you to take your seven iron and your putter. And you see that green over there? Take one ball. I want you to chip it onto the green as close as you can and put it in. That was his first lesson. He didn't give him another lesson for two months. That's all Ben did was chip the ball with a seven iron and put it in. Chip it and put it in. And Ben said this. He said, Mr. Penny taught me what the game of golf is all about right there. Exactly. Getting the ball in the hole. Getting <laughs> as close to the hole as you can with every shot and then put it in. Right. Few strokes as you mm -hmm. can possibly do it. And then that becomes the game That's for the game. them. Yeah. You, started, you, know, right. you start you know, 400 yards away and hit a driver and then a 
and a second shot to get try to get as close to the hole as you can, and then then try to put it in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've seen the Wee Links. Obviously, I play at Heritage all the time. Mm -hmm. Love uh, Rob Wilkin up there, the great yeah. golf pro. But th that course, every time I've been up there to play, there have been families on that course. And I'm not yeah. just talking about a dad and a son. I've seen mom and her daughter and her sons. I saw a mom and a dad and their two. The one kid was on mom's hip. For a whole dad, dad show, and then she handed the baby to dad. Uh -huh. All right, and then she grabbed a golf club and she went around with them on the next well, hole. Cool. And then they swapped them back and forth because the baby was too too small to do it. But it, that is what it's all about. I mean, we're that trying is to create a lot started. more of these wheelings around yeah. around Kansas City yeah. and various various places. Uh, but uh, yeah, that it gives you the opportunity uh, yeah. to learn the game. It give, you know, gives a young person an opportunity to uh, you know. Kind of learn the game and get some success. That's yeah. the thing, you know. Yeah, you bet. Early success. And, and and the thing about you as well as what people may not know is that you didn't just play golf. You know, you played in high school. You played football. You played bat. You like you played everything. Basketball. Yeah. I, I even think uh, somebody told me you're really a good ping pong player. Okay. No, so, I'm not. I'm, no, that's, that's <laughs> somebody crazy. told me table tennis is pretty. Big. I am not. I was okay. a pretty good pool player though. Okay. All right. I couldn't beat my friend Bob Murphy, uh, who was on the tour. Well, <laughs> Murphy, uh, he said he put himself through college on, playing with pool. playing pool. Yeah, yeah that's uh, pretty good. Sounds I like I never beat him. Sounds like the Cincinnati kid. <laughs> One of those deals. Uh, but the, but, but for you, you did play other sports. And I think I did, you, sure. you're an advocate of that, well, too. I am. The more athletic you I, are. I see today, I see kids, and, you know, the grandkids are kind of the same way. They, you know, play soccer almost all year round. Yeah. Um, but my, my son, God bless him, he takes him out to the golf course, does that. He guards with them, fishes with them. Uh, so there's, you know, that's what you do with kids. You get, you got to expose them to other stuff, a lot of other stuff, you know, let them, you know, let them, you know, get some joy out of different things. Maybe, you know, maybe this one works. Maybe it doesn't. This one, all of a sudden, wow, I like this dad or yeah. granddad. Yeah. And that's what you do. That, that's really important advice for parents out there. I think too, you know, the year round thing. Drives me crazy. Well, it does, you know, and it's you know, precipitated by okay, year round, you got to be really good at sports so you can get a scholarship to go to college. Yeah, right. Pay for it. Well, that's understandable is how expensive colleges are. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, the parents, for, you know, kind of force their kids to do it because they, sure. it's a financial decision on the parents' behalf. Uh, college, you know, costs have been way out of hand for a long, long yeah. time. Yeah, doesn't look like it's going to get much better anytime soon either. Yeah. L let's talk about some other things about Kansas City and the things you've done besides now the Wee Links and the Watson Links situation here with you is you have always been such an advocate for this city trying to help those who need help. Children's Mercy Hospital Golf Classic was prime example of that for 20 years that you did that. And then you continued on with the – in ALS because of your wonderful caddy, Bruce Edwards, who died from ALS. I had my old trainer from Villanova, uh, who who also, Jake Nevin, who died from ALS. Uh, George Brett uh, obviously had, you know. Keith he, Worthington. He, is, Keith Worthington, really and that friend. was the, the, the big uh, foundation here for a long time. That's it's how the Keith it started. Worthington yeah. Society here. But you, you have always given back to this city, which is just, you know, it, it has been phenomenal. The Children's Mercy Hospital Golf Classic, I got – this is from my standpoint alone, let alone the all the help it gave to all the young kids there and all the kids who were going through their their treatments. Was I, I get to meet Arnold Palmer, 
I'm from Latrobe, Pennsylvania, right up street from Pittsburgh, my hometown, and I got to meet him and Jack Nicholas, and you know the list was just phenomenal, both men and women professional golfers that, that you had here for those those twenty years. That that was a phenomenal run. Well, uh, Linda and I uh, went to uh, uh, the Hall Foundation. Went to uh, uh, you know Bill Harsh and Adele Hall. Mm-hmm. Had a meeting with them one time and. Uh, they want, you know, would like to talk to you about creating a golf classic, and the beneficiary would be Children's Mercy Hospital and Bill, and, and especially Adele, uh, uh, were intimately involved with Children's Mercy. We sat right. down for lunch, and we explained, Linda and I explained uh, what we're trying to do, uh, how we, how I saw a very successful operation or charitable day work in Spokane, Washington, uh, the kind of the format they used. And it was, you know, it was a, it was a four-person format. You know, four pros go out. Uh, in, in the morning, you did a clinic. Uh, uh, and then in the afternoon, you played golf. You had lunch in between. Uh, it was a, you know, a full day for the players. And, uh, you know, we could raise some, some money. And, I mean, I remember this perfectly. Adele said, well, Tommy, how much money are you trying to raise here? I didn't have a clue. <laughs> I said, I just put out a number, $75,000. And she said, with a smile on her face, we can do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and the first year, I think we netted out uh, you know, over $200,000 for the hospital. Right. And that was 1980. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was for the board. neonatal intensive care unit. Every year for the Children's Mercy, we always designated the money's raised to go to a particular operation at the hospital. Yeah, right. And uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, and you know, we never had a, uh, a title sponsor or anything like that. We really didn't. Uh, we, we just, we went to the community. Uh, the, the largest contribution was made was $3,000. Wow. Uh, the good thing about it was you could go to them in October or November when they're doing their and are budgeting for the next year for the charitable bunch, and these oh sure we'll do it yeah sure we'll do it you know we didn't ask too much and that was kind of the format up in Spokane, and we made everybody pay, everybody got in there and had to pay you yeah everybody else <laughs> uh, I remember one of your you know, fellow sportscasters you know called uh, Chuck and said Chuck I need some tickets to this I said sure. Uh, there'll be $25. <laughs> and he said, well, well uh, don't you just know? Uh, no freebies. No freebies. Oh, Chuck, come on. Like, so what Chuck did, he sent him the tickets, and Chuck out of his pocket. Paid for him. Paid for him. Wow. And I'm glad the, that wasn't me. That well, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> but, but again, he, but he got the message. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, but, you know, that's, you know, everybody's in the game. You know? Sure. Everybody's, you know, doing their a little bit to help the hospital, and that's uh, that was the beauty of this that program. Right, and and the great thing about it was obviously you did, during that time you had already established yourself on the PGA tour and had you know many uh, of of your big victories before that time. But you never really had anybody say no. I know Tiger was a different situation back in those days, but you had every great golfer. You know, Lee Trevino, I mean, you could just go down the list of every great golfer you can think of from the 70s and 80s and 90s, uh, male and female, like I said before. No one ever said no 
to you well, in this situation? Well, I, I tell you why. Yeah, very simple. You know, we pros when we are we are asked to do these all over the uh, you know a lot during the casual, and you know, some people go you know we want you to do it for free. You know, come on, it's for charity. Mm -hmm. You know, and I told right from the beginning, I said no, we're gonna we're gonna pay your full fee, your appearance fee, to everybody we ever invited, everybody, and uh, so it was a pretty easy ask. Uh, you know. It, you know, Jack came here six times. I know. I think Arnie came here five, and I think Torino came here four or five times. So we had, you know, three premier players uh, in golf uh, show up, and it was, it was just – it was an easy sell. Every yeah. year it was an easy sell. Uh, Bill Sight, you know, he was kind of the, uh, the development man. He would, he'd go and, would you like to sign up this year? Oh, sure. I'd like to sign up? Sure. We'd love to. I'd <laughs> yeah. like to sign up. Would you like to be – uh, pay the $250 to see the clinic uh, and go to lunch and and, and have it. Yeah, yeah have the lunch. guys tell the tales up in the, uh, right. in the lunchroom, and away so, from the so cameras. From $25, <laughs> which is the, you know, just, just the charge to go watch us play in the mm -hmm. afternoon, $250 was the charge to see the clinic in the morning, have press conference, clinic, uh, and then go to lunch. And that was an easy sell, too. Yeah. We sold that out every year. Yeah. Well, one of the great guys was Peter Jacobson and his oh, oh yeah. his his imitations. <laughs> oh, oh my God! His imitations he, were he, great. He, his imitations were. He's I mean, he was. You know, guys would be given a clinic, and you got Trevino or whatever. They're hitting it off of Coke cans, and you know they're doing all kinds of. I'm going to put this one up, and it's going to go over <laughs> my head or whatever. But Jacobson, when when he imitated the other pros on tour. It was just, he was, that was hilarious. I think the fans loved that almost more oh, than anything else. Oh, he loved that. You know, of course, yeah. Trevino was always nonstop talking. Oh, yeah. Lee, Lee, he always joked, he said, I can't wait to wake up in the morning to hear what I'm going to say next. <laughs> <laughs> He's always talking. I always love, people say, who do you love to play with out in the tour? Well, my favorite was Lee. I just, you know, he, he loosened me up. He was always talking. He was a friend. Uh, boy, he's a great player. He was the best controller of the golf ball in my era. Yeah. He, he could make the ball sing. He controlled it better than anybody. And uh, it's a joy to, you know, watch him watch him practice, enjoy to watch him play, and, and to listen to what he had to say. It was, it was a complete package. Yeah, yeah, you bet. And you had a great relationship, of course, with Bruce Edwards, your, your caddy, who mm -hmm. I think you met him at, he was 17 or 18 years old, is that right? He was still a high yeah, school Yeah, he kid? was just, he was just graduated from high school uh, mm -hmm. from Connecticut, up in Weathersfield, and he was, he had joined the tour, and uh, he caddied for uh, a year on the tour. And, and in 1973 at St. Louis, uh, St. Louis Children's uh, Golf Classic, that Gene Littler won. He just came back from a mm -hmm. year after getting cancer and his uh, yeah, uh, cancer surgery. Uh, he won that tournament. I remember that. It was hot. It was 100 degrees. And I was, I, I was walking, you know, I, I drove down there, and it, uh, I got my McGregor bag out of the trunk of the car and wa was walking in to register. You go to register. Yeah, you paid your $50 back in those days to play in the tournament for the PGA Tour. Actually, he went to the sponsors for their pro-am purses. And walking in there, halfway in there, this kid comes up, real long hair, nice, you know, nicely dressed. And I uh, said, Tom, could I caddy for you? And I said, hold on. I put the bag down. Let's talk about this a little bit. <laughs> Said, Slow who, down, big fellow. Who, yeah, exactly. Slow down. Who have you caddied for? And he said, well, I've caddied for Dick Lotz. I knew Dick. 
and I've caddied for I forget who else. And uh, so I said, all right, I'll give you a shot. So he took the bag. I go in and register. It was about 95 degrees at that time. And I go to the practice range. I, I decided I wasn't going to play a practice round because I had just gotten married to Linda, got a honeymoon. I needed some work in my golf swing. So I go down to the practice range, and for about three hours, when it was 100 degrees, <laughs> I had a wallet, and I said, all right, can we buy me another bucket of balls? We had to pay for our practice balls wow. in those days, Frank. Wow. We That's had to pay. Incre- you know, it's like going to the Muni. $2, two, $2 <laughs> for a large bucket. Oh. I don't know how many. I, I know I had to have at least $20 uh, of, of, of golf balls that day. And he was saying, uh, I could just see Bruce was sitting there. What did I get myself into? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we finished. I finished sixth that that tournament. And walking off the 18th green, he said, Tom, can I caddy for for the rest of the year? And I said, Hold on, hold on, slow down, slow down. Yeah, you can caddy for the next week at the Canadian Open. Well, that lasted for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, Bruce was such. A, he was on your back for all your great wins. For all practical purposes, and just you became so close to him and his family. And then, of course, we all know the tragic uh, part with ALS with Bruce. And then that spurred you on after the Children's Mercy Hospital Golf Classic to get involved with trying to fight that terrible well, disease. I joined yeah. up with uh, George Brett and yeah. his his commitment to raise funds for ALS research with his uh, good friend Keith Worthington, who passed away from ALS, and created the, you know, I think that was the first, uh, you know, uh, uh, foundation you know, yeah, in the country for the ALS, country. Mm-hmm. yeah, for ALS, and uh, yeah, I joined up with him, uh, and we did it in behalf of Joe McGuff, yeah, uh, the, the great uh, sports writer turned editor of the Kansas City Star, right? And Joe actually had the disease for a lot longer than most people do, uh, and he finally passed from it. He, I think he had the disease for eleven or thirteen years, mm-hmm. and that's unheard of with ALS. Right. So anyway, we we. We continue to do that, and we still continue to do that. And, yeah, and help help raise funds for our local you know, ALS program. And most of the funds go to really, you know, some of it goes to research, but a lot of it goes to you know, taking care of of people who have ALS. And there's an extreme big cost involved with that, with uh, you know, devices that they need to be able to talk, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, motorized wheelchairs, and right. things like that. Yeah, and I think also the toughest part of that disease is. Takes your whole body away, but doesn't take anything from your brain away, and it exactly. just, it's just, just you know, it's, that's very, very you know, you know, it, difficult. It's thing. a difficult you know, thing to comprehend. Yeah. until you see it, and right. then you just go, I, "You poor person, my God, yeah. look what you're going through." Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, we saw Jake Nevin, my old trainer back in Villanova, just you know, die from that as well. And then I, I I've got to get the story of how you ended up with Neil Oxman as your caddy later because here's this guy from Philadelphia went to Villanova by the way mm-hmm. he is a political consultant in Philadelphia and does all oh, he ran a political operation a campaign group yes the campaign group the campaign group and yeah very successful and how, how did you how did you meet up with it was Neil very simple and very how did it goes all the way back to when Bruce asked me for for my bag Neil Oxman was caddying that time Oh, he was a he caddy was cad- back he then. He was a caddy. Oh, wow. I he didn't started caddying that. early in his life, too. Uh, there's a good story about Neil. <laughs> um, but uh, he said, he, he told Bruce, hey, Bruce, there's Watson over there. Go over there. He'll be pre- he, he might be a pretty good player someday. Go ask him to ca- – yeah, you can caddy for him. 
So he urged Bruce to caddy for me. Got you. And Neil caddied for a variety of guys in the tour. Um, he, you know, he he made money to you know put himself through law school. Uh, he caddied more than he went to class in law school. In fact, in graduation, he graduated. Mm-hmm. Uh, graduation, he couldn't. He didn't show up. Uh, <laughs> Probably he, had two bags. Well, he had. He, he was caddying someplace, <laughs> yeah, right. and as he tells it at the ceremony. When they announced his name, uh-huh. the whole class g- gave him a standing ovation. <laughs> and he wasn't Because <laughs> they had never gone to class. <laughs> and he's not there, and he still gets his diploma. <laughs> That's a pretty sharp guy right there. Yeah. Well, he, he knew exactly what then he was Then he took two uh, – he opened up two bank accounts, one to $50 and the other $100, to start the campaign group. And he started uh, – he worked for Al Gore in 1980 uh, in his presidential campaign. Uh, and he you know, worked. Uh, uh, he worked for you know various other you know basically local Phillies, but then he expanded out nationally. Right. Through, you know, he did Jay Nixon's uh, campaign. Yeah. Um, and and he, he expanded his operation. Yeah. He made, he made a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. He, I he think he's done all right. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about Neil, he has the biggest heart, big cha- biggest charitable heart. Uh, he loves the caddies. He loves to come out. And be with the caddies. Just be with the caddies. Right. Because they all have stories and they all share you know, that life, that gypsy life. Yeah, right. And uh, he's helped them out so much you know, financially Yeah. with you know, big medical costs and other things out of his pocket. Yeah. Unbeknownst. You know, you do things without any, telling anybody. Right, exactly. But we find out. Yeah, about sure. Neil. You, you find out these things about Neil. He's just such a wonderful person. You know, we, we don't talk politics here, but, you know, you and him getting along out there on a golf course was a little, was a little fire and rain. Well, no, he, I, he's a, no he, you know, he's one of the, you know, he's one of the few, you know, especially today, that you can talk to when, you know, you have, when you have differing opinions about yes, politics. exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's actually fun. It's, it's fun to, you know, pick his brain about, you know, the, uh, you know, how you know this candidate will fare and things like that? Sure. He's always asked, uh, "This per- how will this candidate do this and like this?" And and you know, so we, you know, we we spar, but uh, <laughs> yeah, a good it, sparring. Well, yeah, yeah, but it's uh, you know we don't uh, you know we don't get uh, you know angry and throw you know throw things at each other like most people do today. Yeah, these do, people do that. And and the other thing, the great tradition, I think, when Bruce Edwards was your caddy and you were at Augusta. He would always give you the the egg salad sandwich. I think on what was it the twelfth green? It was on the twelfth. Twelfth green, and I guess when Bruce was with you uh, after, um, I think it was just well, all- Bruce when he caddied for me at Augusta, uh, he even always get an egg salad sandwich. It cost a buck fifty. Right. At Augusta, still does. Still does. <laughs> and he would put it in the bag, mm-hmm. and then we always had a delay at thirteen T because it's that short par five, right. sharp dog leg left. So we always had a delay. So he'd sit. He'd go up the go up the tee and sit down on the bench and eat his egg salad sandwich. Wow! And when Bruce died, uh, yeah, uh, Neil came up to me and said, "Here," he gave me a wrapped egg salad sandwich. He said, "Just write Bruce on it and leave it on the bench." Wow! And I did. And yeah, it uh, it got some comments. Yeah, I'll bet it did. I'll bet it. Yeah, I'll bet, bet it took you away from the game for a few minutes, well, too, right? Yeah, yeah, some tears. Yeah, sure. yeah, you, you bet, absolutely. And, you know, for, from that point on, I know 
the PGA Tour is where it is today. Now we have Live Golf, and you've been very vocal about the Live Golf situation as well. I wrote a letter that um, yes. I, I explained, asked a lot of questions, and explained what, you know, some of the things that I thought were wrong. Uh, first of all, uh, there was no player involvement in the, in the negotiations. Right. And now, fast forward ahead, they've added Tiger Woods to the, the player board, mm -hmm. and now the, the players themselves have a majority in the board. So all the decisions are going to have to be approved uh, by the players. And the thing it was, it was done in such secrecy, it was, it was the wrong thing to do. Yeah, just looked bad for it the was done, and, and, and the reason it was done very simply was that the tour was spending way too much money trying to keep the players from defecting to the live tour. Right. And they got to the point where we're going to go broke. And that they went to, uh, they went to uh, their, you know, the enemy, and said, "Okay, you got the money, come and let's join forces." Yeah, and, right. Uh, I disagree with that. Yeah, yeah, big, I know. Big time. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Because of what has happened in Saudi Arabia and you well, know, what happened in nine eleven. Yeah, nine eleven too. In particular. Yes, in right. In particular. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But. Um, I think that it, right now, we, I haven't heard anything about uh, uh, the the foundation or the program. Have you? No. I haven't not heard one thing. Darn thing. I, I asked a lot of questions in the letter. Right. And have yet there, any answers? There, and nobody actually responded from the tour to that letter to wow. me. Yeah. I had no response. Hmm. And, you know, where is it? Well, I, I suspect that the Live Tour, I, I know the Live Tour is going to exist next year in 2024. Mm -hmm. I know that. Uh, I think, you know, I hear Nicholson uh, talking and said, none of the live players want to go back to the PGA Tour. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All the live players want to do is uh, they want to play the majors right. and possibly the Ryder Cup, but they just want to play the majors. Yeah. Uh, they've got their pockets full of money, and uh, but they still, some of them can really play. Look at uh, Brooke, Brooks Kepka winning oh, the yeah. PGA this year. Absolutely. And, you know, they, they can still play, obviously, but they play a different format. And it's, it's, I call it an exhibition tour. It's, it's you know, exhibition. Um, uh, we play, a, I think, you know, the PGA Tour plays the way it should be. I mean, you, you have to make a cut. I mean, that's part of the deal. I mean, yeah, you, the live tour, they have no cut. Well, there's no, you have to make a 36-hole cut or you right. don't play the weekend on the, on the PGA Tour. Exactly. And, you know, that keeps you sharp. That's real competition. That's real competition. You know, Tiger Woods said this. He was asked, what was your most cherished accomplishment on the PGA Tour? And he said, I didn't miss a cut for six and a half years. Oh, God. He said that. So that's what the cut meant to Tiger Woods. Mm -hmm. It meant everything to me when I first joined the, the tour, Frank, because if I made the cut when I was not an exempt player, back in those days, Top 60 players were exempt. Mm -hmm. Everybody outside of that had to qualify on Mondays at the tournament site to get in the tournament. Well, if you made the cut, you didn't have to qualify on Monday for the next tournament. Right. So the cut was primo. That's the only thing you're thinking about teeing off on Thursday. Make the cut. And then just go from there. Then everything else was kind of, you know, all of a sudden you, you relaxed and playing the last two days. And uh, But making the cut was the most important thing. So that was the competitive part of it that, uh, and yeah, it, it steeled me. Yeah, but, you know, these kids, you know, these guys and on the live tour, uh, you know, they're basically playing an exhibition. You know, yeah. they're playing the shorts, loud music, and, uh, you know, they're playing for a lot of money. Uh, they've been guaranteed a lot of money. 
And but the, there are several of those guys can really play. Yeah, and they can flat play. So, how will it uh, end up? I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, no one does. I, I think at this point, no. I, I think it's short lived. I think they're going to combine some, especially with Tiger now. A lot of the players on the board itself. You have always been one of those players. The decorum, the game. You're taught at a very young age by your dad, and then by Stan Thurst, the great golf pro at uh, Kansas City Country Club, about decorum and honesty. And no, the game is a game. The, of, the, of, the, the way you play yeah. the game, and and that that has been reflected. The Royal and Ancient uh, overseas in Britain has made you their ambassador for golf. Mm. And I just, I think you went over there this past year. We were going to do this a little earlier. And you said, I'm going to be gone basically the month of July. I'm going to be over there for 30 days. And I'm thinking, wow, he's going. And then I see where the Royal and Ancient has come out and made you one of their ambassadors of golf, which I, I just think that that has to, that, that just has to make you feel really, really good. It about does. About your does. career. I, I, you know, it, my career put me in the position. Right. Uh, you know, being successful at the Open Championship. And they said, "Would you like to represent us?" And I said, "Well, sure." You know, I have a, I have deep roots with the RNA and in yeah. and, and the Open Championship. I love playing golf over there now. I hated playing Lynx golf at the beginning, Frank. I didn't like it at all. And I remember that you telling us that. My first shot on a Lynx golf course, I hit it right down the middle of the fairway. I couldn't find the ball, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I mean, Must was, have been at the old course. It, it was no, it was it, it was at Montefiore up there by Carnoustie, and we hit it out there. And I was playing with John Mahaffey and Hubert Green. We all hit it down the middle of the fairway. Go out there and see, find two balls. There's not there's not a third ball. Where's my ball? Where's my ball? We looked for it for a couple of minutes, couldn't find it. The caddies, you know, we had you know everybody. And so I just dropped one in the fairway, hit to the green, and at the last moment I said, Nah. It's, it's got to be way, maybe way over here to the left, and that's where it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like 40 yards or 50 yards left of the center of the fairway. So it hit a mound in the middle of the fairway and just caromed and rolled forever and went up in this little dep- went down in this little depression. Couldn't just see couldn't it. see it. Couldn't see it. Wow. And I said, I don't like this game. Well, I don't like this the way the way this has turned out. <laughs> I think you conquered that. Well, I did. Uh, after a while, yeah, I, I think. In fact, I could. You know, if, if you could live anywhere else, you could live in Scotland for free. Okay, I don't <laughs> well, think there's there. There's well, I'd any go up doubt to Dornoch. That. That's where I'd go. Yeah, Dornoch is a wonderful place. Yeah, your listeners here, if they if they ever have a desire to play golf in, in Scotland, go to yeah. Royal Dornoch, up north of Inverness, and. Uh, and really enjoy that golf course. It's there, really a great course. There is a, there is a great hint from from Tom Watson, and and of course, then and you know when the your final there or not, it wasn't the final time you had played there. But at almost sixty years of age, you almost won that uh, British Open, and that was uh, <laughs> for us here in Kansas. I think when Stuart Sink, of course, ended up winning the tournament uh, after he got into a playoff with you after you uh, had bogeyed the eighteenth hole, um, was the fact that he uh, Stuart Sink said after he said everyone including my own family, was cheering for Tom Watson <laughs> in, that, in that, that golf tournament. So that was a terrific – it was terrific for us because of the way you handled that. I mean, where you were – I know that had to be crushing at the time, but the way you handled it was just incredible. Well, it was uh, – yeah, I, I, I jokingly, you know, when people remind me of that, they said, you know, they looked up on that big yellow scoreboard there <laughs> during the tournament and they saw the name Watson – at the top of the leaderboard, they look at it and they go, 
that's not a B in front of his name. <laughs> that's a T <laughs> instead a T. of Bubba. Yeah. It's Tom. Right, yeah. So. Yeah. But uh, no, the, you know, the, and the aftermath of there did, you know, all the interviews and all this sort of stuff. But go up to the hotel room and Hillary and I were dressing for dinner. And uh, I got a, she got a phone call from Barbara Nicholas. She said, hi, Barb. Yeah. Okay. She hands me the phone and says, Jack wants to talk to me. Oh, boy. And he goes, Tom, I did a <laughs> today I've never done before. I said, what's that, Jack? He said, I watched your first shot to your last shot. I've never watched anybody that long in a televised golf tournament. <laughs> that's all and, he said. Yeah, and he, you know, he kind of laughed and said, well, that's great. He said, he said you won the tournament. I didn't win the tournament, Jack. No, you won it. You beat everybody in the field. No, I didn't. Yeah, so he was trying to console me a yeah. little bit. He's a good friend. And then he uh, he said, well, the 18th hole, you hit a perfect tee ball. Second shot, if it comes up six inches short, you two-putt to win easily. The third shot you played, you played the shot that wouldn't lose you to the tournament. Now, I putted it and said it chipped it. Mm-hmm. And then he said, the pot, you hit it like the rest of us would have hit it, you dog. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're sticking the needle in me, and it, that cracked me up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And here's the greatest player in the game yeah. calling me at a time that he knew that I was yeah. empty mm-hmm. and hurting. Uh, maybe because I, I did it to him a couple of times. Yes, he, you did. He knew, the, he knew yeah. the situation. Absolutely, you did, yeah. At the, yeah, the U.S. Open and, and the British Open in 77. That's right. Uh, but here he is calling me to console me to as a friend. Unbelievable. And that was pretty cool. Okay, before we let you out of here, got to talk about cutting horses. And you got into it with uh, with Hillary because of Hillary because That's of Hillary, right, and yeah. she was a she was a a horse person. Right after we got married, she he was she was all she, when I married her, she came with horses. Okay. She came with three horses. <laughs> so okay, say so Tom, you marry me, I'm bringing my three horses. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we uh, fortunately I had a place to to put them. On yes, the farm right. And, and we built a small barn for them, but. Uh, that led into uh, her uh, getting introduced to the cutting horse world. We, right. we did some team sorting uh, together. I wasn't any good. I didn't have any spurs. You know, my horse didn't re- react. But uh, he had some fun doing that. A big group of people. We get 10 cows mm-hmm. and you know, you try to separate them all out in order and things right. like that. So that was kind of fun. And then she got introduced to the cutting horse world. Right. And, uh, you know, she started you know, small, and then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, this year we're going we're gonna to go to a big show. We, they went to the non-pro in Oklahoma City, and she won it. She won the 15,000 amateur there. Oh, wow. And, you know, that uh, elevated uh, the, the types of shows that she, she competed in, and she got better and better and better. And, and I have to say this about her. The last two years of her life, you know, she got she contracted uh, pancreatic cancer and died. Yeah. Uh, the last two years, she still competed. She still would compete in, in, in between wow. treatments. And she finished eighth and fifth in the overall amateur standing for the year Wow, uh, doing that. So she was pretty good. But getting back to how I started, I started yeah. about seven years ago. Uh, my career was over, basically. I couldn't hit the ball far enough. I couldn't compete at the Masters or the Open Championship. Couldn't do it. I retired from both of those. And. I said, you know, I, I want to try something. I said to myself, I want to try something new. I need a goal. I need something to I do. I want to try something where I'm not any good at anything and, and see if I can get good at it. 
And Cern, well, I, I had kind of the uh, inroad with Hillary watching her all those years. And I said, you know, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. Not try it. I'm going to do it. So I said uh, to my farm manager, who is a great horseman, Tom R., I said, Tom, teach me to be a cutting horseman, showman. He said, all right, here we go. Got to get yourself a horse. I went to the British Open, came back, and he had a horse. I started that day, that Monday, wow. uh, riding, you know, riding the horse, learning, uh, you know, learning how to, you know, basically take care of the horse, uh, how to hold the reins, use my feet, and that was a process. And then I competed, my first show a couple months after that, and then my I had a goal, Frank. I, I know what this goal is. Well, there was a guy on the tour, Hal Sutton. Yes, Hal Sutton, Texas, uh, Texas guy, but actually is Louisiana. His mm-hmm. dad uh, had a cutting horse breeding operation, and, and it, wow. he had a, he had a stud. That he, he had a stud. His name Smart Little Scoot, and uh, actually Hillary bought a horse called Scooter McGavin. It was a, <laughs> it was a real a great horse. It really was a great horse. But anyway, my goal. Once I made my first check, which was two hundred and fourteen dollars and sixty-eight cents, <laughs> finished in second in the two thousand limited amateur down in Carthage, Missouri. Wow! I said to myself, "Hal, I'm coming after you," <laughs> because his lifetime earnings—you know, you can go to the NCHA and find that lifetime. His lifetime earnings is forty-two thousand dollars. Well, it took me five years to surpass that. But you got him, didn't you? <laughs> but I finally yeah. got him. Well, you and had I that called goal. him up. And I called him up and said, Al, I finally got you. And he said, yeah, but how much did it cost you to get me? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The, 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 the ledger, yeah. the, 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 two, the two sides of the ledger. Well, that's just awesome. Tom, I appreciate your time today. It's just been terrific. You are a Kansas City and through and through. I know how much you love this city just from the things we've been talking about, about giving back to this city. And it's just been, it's been wonderful for me to know you and to get to know you uh, all these years that, uh, that, that I've been here. And I just, uh, I treasure that friendship. And I well, just Frank, think you're a great man. we've had a wonderful relationship too. You've been, you're, you're one of the good ones. You're the ones that, you know, you always came with uh, a positive attitude about life and, and our interviews that we did over the years. I appreciate that very much. And thanks for dragging me around uh, a couple of times <laughs> I played golf with you, too. And, and taking – Tom's great, okay? If you ever get – if you ever had the wonderful opportunity to play golf with Tom, he knows you're nervous on the first day. He just – Hey, I know you're nervous, whatever. Tom will crack a joke, and from that point on, it's just play well, golf I, and have fun. Didn't I tell you in the first tee? He said, why are you nervous? You're only playing with the five-time British Open champion. <laughs> <laughs> you did that. Thanks, buddy. Okay, I appreciate fine. you being here. Tom Watson. Thanks for having me. On, there's just something about Kansas City.